اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ And welcome back to Ramadan Reflections. Today being the 13th day of the blessed month of Ramadan as we continue to reflect on the verses of the Quran where Allah gives us a better glimpse into the life of the Messenger of Allah in which we're able to somehow try and piece together a biography of the Prophet while at the same time feeling as how it may have been to be in the presence of the Messenger and also at the same time learning uh, some aspects that we would never be able to experience even if we had lived beside the Messenger of Allah. You know, as we have talked about in our previous sessions that the embargo on the Muslim community in those early years in Mecca, the economic embargo, the social boycott, the political uh, backlash that came against the Muslim community and being exiled from the city of Mecca for many years, forced to live in the valley of Abu Talib, peace be upon him, it proved to be extremely difficult not only for the morale of the young Muslim community, this nascent community of believers, some of them had been Muslims only about you know, seven, eight years, some of them maybe seven, eight months, seven, eight weeks, seven days maybe, some of them may have been early converts. Not only did it affect the morale of the Muslims, it also affected the health of some of the elder members of the community. Some of the people who this lifestyle of being uh, pushed into a valley where there was obviously very little, uh, in term, very little in terms of food and drink and shade even in the heat. And the coldness of the night was something very difficult to bear on the bodies. Forced to go into this valley and to survive on whatever would grow from the ground and maybe some food which uh, some companions and some uh, elite personalities such as Imam Ali salam could uh, go into Makkah to get and to smuggle out of the city. It was very difficult. And this really shows us the very first test of the Muslims. The how strong is your conviction in this messenger of God and this book that he's bringing and this God that you have now accepted. Are you willing to go through these hardships of life? You know, boycotts and sanctions are not an easy thing. We see that happening around the world today. Countries are cut off from financial systems. Countries are not able to purchase medication that they need. You know, and this affects people in many different ways. And so it was in this year, really four years before the migration, only about nine years since Prophet Muhammad, may Allah bless him and his family, announced his mission to his community, that the Muslims would suffer a major blow, actually a two-pronged attack or a two-pronged loss of the Ummah. On the 26th of Rajab, according to some of the narrations, in the ninth year of the mission, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family, had to face the loss of his beloved uncle, his protector, his guardian, the man who brought him up when he was eight years old, the one who took care of the Prophet more than he took care of his own sons, the one who made sure that the Prophet was fed even though his children remained hungry. And that is none other than the great man, the great believer of the Quraysh, Abu Talib, the son of Abdul Muttalib. May God's peace and blessings be upon both of them. This wouldn't be the only loss, however, because this year would be called Amul Huzan, the year of grief, as we mentioned yesterday. Two months after the death of Abu Talib, around thereabouts, and again, there are some differences of opinion, but according to the dominant opinion, on the 10th of the month of Ramadan in that same year, the Prophet would have to part with his life partner, the mother of the believers, his first and most beloved wife, 
Khadija bint Khuwailid, may God's peace and blessings be upon her. These two losses back to back within a few months only, they must have devastated the messenger of God. Yes, we all know that we all have to die and go back to God. There's no doubt about that. And we are never complaining about losing a loved one. We should never complain when we lose a loved one. But part of Islamic heritage and part of the etiquette of being a good Muslim is that at the same time that we reserve the right for God to do as He wills and to take people from our lives whenever He wants, we have our responsibility to grieve, to uh, show our sorrow and our, our, our sadness over the loss of a loved one and to do all that we can to ease their transition back to God. So as I said, these two losses back to back, they weighed so deeply on the Prophet that he actually called that year Amul Huzan, the year of grief. Two pillars of Islam had left this world within the same year. However, you know, as Allah is ever watchful, and he knows that the Prophet and the community, what, what they were going through, he would never leave his messenger alone. And he would never allow him to be uh, stranded in a situation as we had seen in a previous session that Allah has taken care of the Prophet even when he, before he was born, his mother had the means to uh, sustain him, although her husband, the Prophet's father, had passed away. When the Prophet's mother passed away, the Prophet's grandfather steps in. When the Prophet's grandfather passes away, the uncle steps in. So there's always been guidance and guardianship and support coming from God through these individuals. So how does God console the messenger of God? How does God console his final prophet? Well, he bestows upon him an honor that no one before him has experienced and nobody ever after the prophet would ever go through. A journey known as Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. The miraculous night journey from Mecca to Jerusalem in what is today occupied Palestine and then from there an ascent into the heavens and beyond. Now this journey is beautifully articulated by Allah in the Qur'an in, in two places. The verse which we want to reflect upon today is from chapter number 17, verse number 1, Surah Al-Isra, where Allah says, أَوْضُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ سُبْحَانَ الَّذِي أَسْرَى بِعَبْدِهِ لَيْلًا مِنَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ إِلَى الْمَسْجِدِ الْأَقْسَى الَّذِي بَارَكْنَا حَوْلَهُ لِنُورِيَهُ مِنْ آيَاتِنَا إِنَّهُ هُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ in this verse, God says, All glorified is he who took his servant for a journey by night from the sacred mosque to the farthest mosque, the environs of which we have blessed, so that we may show him some of our signs. Surely he is the all-hearing, the all-seeing. Now, although this unbelievable miraculous journey is only mentioned uh, in this chapter of the Quran, in this one verse only, Allah does speak about it, as we said, in chapter number 52, Surah An-Najm. Now, what was this event all about? How did it transpire? What did the Prophet experience of the ayat of Allah that Allah speaks about? Well, we know that you know, the darkness of the night, of Mecca especially in that era with no uh, lights, no light bulbs, no electricity, the darkness of the night had really spread across the entire horizon of Mecca. Silence reigned over the face of nature. Everybody had gone to sleep in the middle of the night. Even the animals were probably fast asleep in the desert. 
This was a time when living creatures take rest and sleep so they can recuperate and get ready for the next day, a very busy day of activity. And the Prophet of Islam was no exception to this law of nature. And I'm sure he also wanted to sleep after offering his night prayers. Maghrib and Isha, there's obviously time to sleep until the night prayer, until the Fajr time. However, the historians and the, and the narrators of the hadith mention that he all of a sudden, he hears a voice. It was the voice not of a person, it was the voice of angel Jibra'il, peace be upon him, who says to the Prophet, This night you have to perform a very unique journey, and I have been ordered to remain with you. You will traverse different parts of the world, different parts of existence, mounted on an animal which was called Burak. Now what is Burak? We won't go into the specifics. But the Prophet started his journey from the city of Mecca. According to some of the narrations, it started in the house of Umm Hani, the sister of Imam Ali, peace be upon him. The Prophet was taken by the angel Jibra'il, peace be upon him, to what is today occupied Palestine, and most specifically to the area known as, uh, in the Quran, which Allah calls Masjid al-Aqsa. Now, let me just mention as a note that you should not confuse, or we should not confuse, what Allah calls Masjid al-Aqsa in the Quran, to the physical masjid that is in that sacred ground today which bears the same name. When, when Mi'raj happened, there was no dome, a golden dome mosque, of an eight-sided mosque. Right? This was years after the Prophet was, uh, had passed away that this mosque was built on that land. That area looked completely different than it does today. It's not the same as it was back then. There was no physical building. And actually, for, if you want to have more information, we will leave a link in the description of this video with an in-depth research article of what is Masjid al-Aqsa, where it is, and to give you an all a better idea of the true reality of Masjid al-Aqsa. In either case, going back to the topic at hand, you know, the first part of this journey of the Prophet was from Mecca to what is today uh, occupied Jerusalem in occupied Palestine. This is a holy land which, as Allah says, that it is a land which we have blessed. This is the land of prophets. Prophet Jesus is known as being an inhabitant of this city. Prophet Abraham, Prophet Moses, peace be upon him. Prophet David and Solomon, peace be upon both of them. And so the prophet was given first an opportunity to explore the sacred precincts, pray the salat there, and then he prepared for the next major part of his trip which is the most important, arguably, which was into the heavens. He commenced that second part of the journey, and he proceeded from that place in Jerusalem up into the skies. Not spiritually, not in a dream, but in physical reality, the physical body of the Prophet. Keep in mind that this is one of the undeniable beliefs of the Shia tenets of faith, that the Prophet's mi'raj was a physical mi'raj. It wasn't a spiritual journey that you and I have in our, in our dreams, that the Prophet, in, in his sleep he traveled. No, this was a physical experience. He observed the stars, the system of the world. He, confer, he conversed and he led prayers uh, with the previous prophets and also the angels in the heavens. He saw the centers of blessing in paradise and he saw and was given a glimpse into the tortures that existed in hell. He saw the people in hell and what they would be suffering, and he also saw the people of paradise from up close. And consequently, through all of this, as the Quran mentions, he became 
aware at a higher level of the secrets of creation, the extent of the universe and the signs of the omnipotent Allah, omnipotent God. He continued in his journey to a point where the Quran calls Sidratul Muntaha. He found it covered with splendor, magnificence, and grandeur. And again, as we said that there were many other things that the Prophet had experienced in the Mi'raj, obviously we can't go into all of them. But he did experience many more things, including going to that Sidratul Muntaha where even the angel was told that he could not cross that boundary because he would be destroyed. In any case, the journey has to come to an end and Jibra'il brings him back to Jerusalem. During the return journey, also he came back to Beitul Muqaddas, that sacred land. And on the way he was, on the way returning back to Mecca, he saw some things. He met a trade caravan. And this trade caravan of Quraysh that were making their way back to Mecca had lost one of their camels in the desert and they were frantically searching for it. He saw this. He drank, he stopped, he drank some of the water that they gave him from a container of theirs. And whatever little was left in the glass, he threw it onto the ground. Or according to another narration, he placed a cover on it and gave it back. Now he goes back to Mecca. It's before the time of the daybreak. He dismounts in the house of Umhani from the animal he was on. And the first person he sees is Umhani, again the sister of Imam Ali, alayhi salam. The Prophet tells her what happened. And he also tells the people of Quraysh, who obviously up until this point had still not believed in him. Now, are they going to believe him that he made a miraculous journey from Mecca to Jerusalem in a, in, a, in a blink of an eye and then into the heavens? If they're not going to believe him as being a prophet, they're definitely not going to believe in, a, in, a, in such a trip, which would have been impossible at that time. Anyways, the story of his mi'raj, the journey uh, which happened, the Quraysh heard all about it, and they recognized that this is something impossible with our camels and horses, you cannot travel that far, that fast, in that amount of time. And anyways, this story began to pick up traction in the, in the, in the circles and the quarters in Mecca. It spread from mouth to mouth. People were talking about it. The leaders of the Quraysh became even more perplexed at their nephew. That what, is, what is he talking about? You know? And according to their old habit, the Quraysh decided to refute him. And they said, you know, even... Um, this doesn't even make sense what you're talking about. They said to him, there are people in Mecca right now who have been to Jerusalem, to Beitul Maqaddas, to that sacred land. If, you, if what you say is correct, then give us an account of the structures that are present there. What kind of buildings are there in Beitul Maqaddas? What kind of buildings are there in Jerusalem? What does the structure look like? And the historians say that the Prophet not only described the structure of what he saw, and what these other people had seen, he mentioned what happened on the trip between Mecca and Beitul Muqaddas, or from Beitul Muqaddas back to Mecca. And he told them that he met a trade caravan of this particular tribe. They had lost the camel, and they were searching for it in the desert. He told them that they had a container full of water, and that he asked for a drink of it, and they gave it to him. He told them everything that he did. Uh, he told them everything about that caravan that they, would ha they had asked him about. He went on to tell them what, what, uh, where he met them, and what part of the, the locality of Mecca. 
He told them the color of the camel. He told them uh, that they had a litter, like a, a load on top of the camel. And hearing all of this, the Quraysh became a bit skeptical. But they said, you know what, this, car this caravan has to come back to Mecca eventually. This is home. So when they come back, we're going to ask them exactly what happened. And let's see if they give the similar response which would corroborate with the Prophet's statement. So the historians mentioned that it was not long that that caravan returned back to Mecca. It was led by Abu Sufyan. And he met the Quraysh and he told them exactly what happened, exactly as the Prophet described it. And they couldn't doubt it. Obviously, they would find a way to cast doubt on the Prophet again. But from what they heard, there was, there was no way that they could understand how this was even possible. Now, one of the beauties which the Prophet received on the night journey of the Mi'raj was being given the title or the station of Maqam and Mahmud. That lofty spiritual status, which is defined as Shafa'a or intercession for his nation. God willing, tomorrow on the 14th day of the blessed month of Ramadan, we're going to speak about what is Maqam and Mahmud that the Prophet was given. What were the blessings that God conferred upon his beloved messenger on the Mi'raj that we all hope for and aspire to uh, receive from the messenger on the day of judgment? God willing, we will speak about this tomorrow. Until then, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.